Okay, friends. Ambush medical minute. George, I got gotcha. you. George. This is George. Who else is with us? Kevin. Kelly. We're duding out and we're medical minuting it. So guys, question for the group. What do you call what what infection or what what is it that we call an old man's best friend? What is an old man's best friend? Cellulitis or cellulitis. The cubitus. The cubitus ulcer. Both of those sound horrible for old people, George. (laughs) (laughs) Kelly. I have no idea. Okay, and finally, Kevin. I don't know. Okay, an old man's best friend is pneumonia. Okay, so it was thought that you know, oftentimes when people get old, pneumonia is one of the primary things that they die from especially when you get old and decrepit so an old man's best friend was coined because oftentimes when old men would get pneumonia they'd fall into this delirium and then this respiratory distress where they're out of it and they'd basically go peacefully was the thought so who coined yeah so who who coined the term was uh william osler right and he actually died from pneumonia which is a interesting little caveat as did nelson mandela as did Bernie Mac, as do a ton of people. Uh, so it's the eighth leading cause of death in the United States. So it's a big thing. And it's something that we see every day, or a lot at least, uh, in people both young and old. So guys, how do we classify pneumonias? George? I guess on the distress of the patient? The stress of the patient, okay. And Kelly? I think just vital signs as far as respiratory rate, then pulse oximetry, rest, you know. Yeah. Kevin? Viral and bacterial. Okay, yeah. So you guys are touching on a lot of different things. Uh, you two, you know, George and, and George and Kelly are topping on the fact that there's sick, sick pneumonia versus not sick pneumonia, right? And that's a, that's a great ER approach to it. And Kevin, you're going, uh, which is what is the cause of the pneumonia, which could obviously be a viral pneumonia, which could be a fungal pneumonia, which can be a bacterial pneumonia, or it could that be actually none of the above and can be related to chemical irritation, et cetera. Because pneumonia, what it actually means is just inflammation of the lung, right? And there's a few different ways to classify pneumonia. Uh, For example, you can classify it by what causes it, which Kevin alluded to. You can classify it by where it is. So you have lobar pneumonias versus multi-lobar pneumonias, right? You can classify it also by walking pneumonia. You've probably heard that. Mm -hmm. So there's a difference between a walking pneumonia and a classic pneumonia, right? And the most important thing that we can actually look at is that question of sick versus not sick. And there's one diagnosis that basically dictates how we treat people with pneumonia and where we disposition them to. And that is actually community-acquired pneumonia versus healthcare-acquired pneumonia. And that is a really big differentiation between whether someone's going to stay or someone's going to go home and what antibiotics they're going to get. First of all, I should say, you can get really sick as crap and you can die from community-acquired pneumonia, right? So we'll have this basic rule that helps us determine whether someone needs to be admitted or someone does not need to be admitted. And that rule is called a CURB-65. Have you ever heard of this? 
No? Okay. It's real easy. So curb 65, easy mnemonic. C is for confusion, okay? U is for uremia. So if you actually have a uh, u- urea um, on, your, on your BMP, which is greater than 20, we consider that a sign that someone might be sicker. Then respiratory rate, greater than 30. Of course, if someone's huffing and puffing, you know they're sick, right? B is for, B is for blood pressure. So a blood pressure less than 90 obviously qualifies them as someone who's sicker, someone who would probably need to come to the hospital. Five, it's because old people, right? If you're older than 65, then, uh, then we think that you have a higher chance of crumpinatus. So if you're zero to one, we think you're, a good can- you're potentially a good candidate for outpatient. If you're greater than one, we think you need to come in. If you're really in the threes and fours, we think you probably need to come in to the ICU possibly because you're pretty damn sick. Okay? We also augment that with things like lactic, et cetera, but that's one of these well-validated rules that we'll often talk about is the CURB-65 rule to figure out whether people need to come in to the hospital or go home. Um, why is there such a difference between healthcare-acquired pneumonia and community-acquired pneumonia? I guess health healthcare because you can you can spread it more or get get more infectious. Get okay, more infectious because mm-hmm. you're around more sicker people. So when you it's like you're giving more disease to less people or more people that have the less ability to fight it. Okay. Yep, that's for sure. I don't know. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, well, first of all, it's different bugs, right? It's, they're two different neighborhoods. So the things that you get, the type of infections you get are very different. So in the community, we have a lot of strep, right? That's probably number one. You have a lot of mycoplasma. That's another one. You have Legionella. Okay, there's a lot of classic things that can give you um, community-acquired pneumonia. But then when we get into hospital or healthcare um, associated pneumonia, we start talking about really bad players. We start talking about pneumonia that's caused by MRSA. We start talking about pneumonia that's caused by pseudomonas. We talk about pneumonia that's caused by gram-negative rods. And, and all of those oftentimes are drug-resistant. So if you just give one medicine, if we just give them azithromycin or we just give them Levaquin, likely, likelihood is they're just going to keep on getting worse. So oftentimes people, when we decide, hey, this is someone who's a healthcare-acquired pneumonia, are going to need a few different antibiotics or are they going to need big guns like Zosin or Imipenem, okay? Um, the, the other thing is what does healthcare-acquired actually mean, right? We definitely know hospitals are healthcare-acquired. But there's a few other places that we think might be healthcare acquired as well. Nursing homes. nursing homes. There we go. Nursing homes. We consider those higher risk for health for multi multi drug resistant disease. Dialysis centers. Okay. If you're going to chemo a lot, right? You already got a weak immune system, but there's bigger bugs there. So all of those kind of fall into that category. And then if you're a person who was in the hospital for some other reason and was intubated, let's say for a surgery, you came in to get your knee operated on, you got surgery, and then afterwards you came down with an infection, a week or two later, we still consider that healthcare acquired. A big part of why is how you get the infection. So not only is it different bugs, but you get those different bugs because you're oftentimes intubated, right? Or oftentimes you have, you've been getting a lot of medicines and you don't have great gag reflexes, you've been getting a lot of pain meds, et cetera. So a lot of your natural defenses are down. 
So a lot of healthcare associated pneumonias are not got by, by just breathing in, like we get community acquired pneumonias, but are often caused by aspiration, either passive or active, where either stuff from our gut comes up into our mouth and then we breathe it back into our lungs. Or if you're intubated and paralyzed, you have no ability to cough or clear your secretions. Now, does laying around in bed all day, does that also kind of, kind of screw the patient? Exactly. Pulmonary toilet, right? We see this all the time in people who, we're, who are painful conditions and we give a bunch of narcs to. They don't cough, right? One of the best cough suppressants in the world is narcotics. That's why I used to, that's why codeine is one of them, right? Codeine, what does your body do with codeine, by the way? What does it, what's the active metabolite of codeine? It's morphine, right? Your body turns codeine into morphine. That's why it works. That's why it works as a cough suppressant and at times as a pain medication. <laughs> so, um, so that's a total aside. Um, where was I going with this? Guys, remind me. What was I talking about before the codeine thing? The uh, not moving around and the oh, cough suppression. Yep, thank you. So, you know who gives some people hospital-acquired pneumonia? We do, right? We do by taking really bad care of sick people. So you guys, all of us in the emergency department, have a big role in assuring that people don't get hospital-acquired pneumonia. So there's a few things we can do. Is one of the things we love to do is to intubate sick people, right? That's why we're there. We, we want to get the tube. We want to resuscitate. We want to take care of sick people. And we want to do a damn good job doing it. But there's a few things that once someone is intubated, we can do that are big no-nos that either will set someone up to develop a pneumonia two days later or will prevent them from developing a pneumonia. Do you guys know some of those things? I see Kelly shaking his head no. George? I would say wean them off of the tube quickly or hygiene. Hygiene, there we go. Hygiene's a big one, right? So hygiene's a big one. If we can, if we can suction that mouth off, if they got a crap load of secretions, you want to get those out of there so they don't go into the lung, okay? Another thing for the respiratory therapist is if you lube the tube, you actually get some lube and you put it on that, that actually creates a better seal. That's one of the things that's been shown to decrease the incidence of ventilator-acquired pneumonia, right? So lube is good. The last thing is a really simple thing that each of you can do with just one hand. What is that? The other thing you can do is elevate the head of the bed, right? So if you elevate the head of the bed of all your intubated people, if you suction them out real well, if you do those things, you're helping prevent a longer hospital stay. You're helping prevent complications such as ventilator-acquired pneumonia. Okay? Cool. Okay, guys, any other questions about pneumonia? No, no, thanks. Awesome. Thank you.